Well, good morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 133. We're going to read 133 and 134. As you do that, uh, also put your finger there and then turn over to Acts chapter 2, and we'll be reading the last few verses of that chapter as well. It has uh, been uh, a week of mixed emotions. Uh, It's been some great things, some encouraging things, um, as we've had time uh, fellowshipping together on Wednesday nights um, in the park on the south in the southwest part of town and fellowshipping and just spending time with our, our church family and then also prayer walking and, and attempting to do outreach uh, in that part of town. And that's been a, a good thing and an encouraging thing. It's been a, a good thing to work alongside some uh, some fellow brothers in Christ as we've been working on the Sunday school wing and hope that you'll walk over there and check it out. There's been some major changes over the last few days and that's been exciting and encouraging as well. Uh, There's been some discussions, uh, just gospel-centered discussions that we've been able to have this week. And I've heard not only that I've had, but that I've heard that all of some of you have had. Uh, And those things have been encouraging. At the same time, there's certainly also mixed emotions and grief this week. Uh, Many of you already know, but this week we lost Shirley Morris. And uh, we certainly extend condolences to the family and are praying for you all. Um, But we have mixed emotions even about that. While we will certainly miss a a wonderful lady who left an incredible legacy in our church family and also in our community, uh, we're also thankful this morning that she is worshiping, uh, that she is whole, and that she is with Donley. And uh, what an amazing thing that is. And we're excited for her and thankful for that. And thankful that she has gone on before us, but that it is not an eternal goodbye. But that we will one day worship alongside her once again. And we look forward to that. As I think about those mixed uh, emotions, though, and as I think about those things, I'm reminded that they are made more acute, that they are in some ways the the highers are high and the the lowers are are more understandable and and easier to walk through in part because we have a church family because we do this thing called life together and we've been put on the path together it is no accident i believe that you are here this morning that god has placed you in this church at this time that he has placed you with this family that we may worship together, that we may live life together, that we may hear from his word together, that we may encourage one another together. And so this morning, we come as we continue on our sermon series looking at worship, we come together and we ask the question together, with whom are we to worship? And so if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. We're going to read 133, 134, and then we're going to move over to Acts And look at chapter 2 there. Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. 
And then Psalm 134, another song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. And then turning to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. For And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And what an incredible blessing it is to join together with brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship together, whether it be through our our acts of service, our words of encouragement, whether it be through our generosity or our singing, or whether it be in the hearing and the doing of the word, how good it is to do it together. Father, we pray that you would bless this time, that you would bless the hearing of your word, that it would go to the core of who we are and that it would search out the desires of our heart, that it would encourage and challenge. Father, we pray that you would give us a greater desire for the church this morning both those that are here and those that are scattered. For those that are here and for those that worship all over this planet that you have created. Father, I pray, help us find the love that you love. Lord, we ask all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue on with our look at worship, we, just as a reminder, and I'm, I'm not going to do a full recap here, I don't even have a slide for this, but just as a reminder, we're, we look, we're looking at worship over the summer because of the great importance that God has placed on worship in His Word and in our lives. We are called to worship as believers. We are made to worship as humans. And if those things are true, then it should be that the believer understands worship in maybe better than anything else that we do. And yet what happens instead is is that as we go on in life and we begin to allow ourselves to become distracted by things, instead of worship being about valuing God above all other things. Instead of worship being about his, what he desires, worship begins to become about what we desire. And rather than worshiping him in a way that is honoring to him, we begin to worship in a way that is more comfortable and appealing to us. 
We used the example, the illustration a few weeks ago of if, you, if your wife was allergic to flowers and you kept trying to show your affection by buying her more flowers, that is not going to have the result that you are hoping for. That's not showing love. In fact, it's showing the opposite of that. In the same way, when we come to make much of God, but we desire to do it on our terms and in our ways, I don't think that's going to have the desired impact that we think it's going to. That's not going to have the outcome that we think it's going to. So it's important that we understand worship. And again, as, as I mentioned just a second ago, the idea of worship, the broader definition that we've been giving it, is that worship is making much of God. It is valuing God above all other things. And as we worship him, as we do that, as we value him above all other things, what happens is others see that in our lives and we make his value known to those that observe us. And so we've been asking the questions. Who do we worship? What do we worship? Where do we worship? When do we worship? And this morning we come, as we've already said, to the who, with whom. Who are we to worship with? As we look at our passages, we get a picture of this, the answer here. In Psalm 133, in Psalm 133, we have a song of ascent of David. We have a song of ascent. The idea behind 133 and 134 is that these were songs, these were a song that you would sing with others as you all drew closer to Jerusalem. Several times during the year, God had instituted different festivals, different feasts that all of Israel was to gather together in Jerusalem and worship and celebrate those things together. Passover probably being the most famous of those, the celebration and remembrance of God rescuing them out of slavery from Egypt. But there were others. And so as they were gathering, you can imagine uh, just the, the congestion and all the people traveling the roads. And as they get closer and closer to Jerusalem, there's more and more crowds. Um, I don't know about you, but if you go to a, a ball game or you're going to the city for a large event, the closer you get to the event, the slower traffic gets, the more people get. And there tends to be um, not singing in those situations. Um, there tends to be quite a bit of frustration. But the picture here is that the exact opposite happens. As they get closer to Jerusalem, as more and more families are put together and they, they begin to draw closer to their destination, what happens is there is a unified song, unified a sound that comes from these pilgrims that are traveling. And it's a glorious thing. And so when he speaks here of, of the unity of brothers, what he's talking about is the gathering together of God's people, of the nation of Israel. And what a beautiful thing it is. And so he says here at the beginning of 133, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. He says it's a good thing when we gather together to worship. It's a good thing when we gather together as the people of God. He gives two interesting illustrations here. We're not going to spend a ton of time on these, but he says that it is like the oil in a beard and it is like the dew from the mountains. And those are kind of odd pictures, but the idea is it's refreshing that 
that beard oil that you put in and it has a, a fragrant smell. It's, it's attracting smell. It's much better than the manly sweat you've been wearing the whole week, okay? It's a good thing. It's, it's what you, you cleanse yourself and then you apply that and it's, it's appreciated. It takes that beard from being all raggly and scraggly and, and rough and it smooths it out. In the same way, we have the dew from the mountains and and the life that it brings to the valleys below, and it's refreshing, and it's cooling, and it's life-giving. Those are the pictures that, that David provides when we think about the unity and the gathering of God's people. It should be refreshing. It should be beautiful. It should be calming and restoring. At the same time, we see another picture we gather together with the people of God, and we gather together with fellow adoptees. Turn with me to Acts. We're going to kind of flip back and forth here a little bit. We go back over to Acts chapter 2, and what we have there in, in chapter 2, in verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Question is there, really quickly, who is they? And they devoted themselves. Who is they? Well, we get the answer if we back up in chapter 2 a little bit. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the day that the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples, upon all believers, and they were indwelt by the presence of God. And Peter and the other disciples began preaching to the crowds that had been gathered for Passover. And he begins preaching to them. He begins telling them about the gospel and he ends his sermon to these people, to these crowds, by saying this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and, they were, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then if not for the passage break, we would go right into verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So we gather together. Who are we to gather together with? We're together, get together. We are to gather together with the people of God, and we're to gather together with the family of God, with those who have been adopted as we have, with under the blood of Jesus Christ. It always amazes me when I travel. It is not a, a rare occurrence that I will meet a fellow brother or sister of Christ. And it's so cool every time that when that happens. And there's just something that is in them. It's the, the spirit speaking to the spirit. And you immediately, you, you begin to question like, do I know this person? Is there something here? And then it's like, are you a believer? And they're like, yeah. And it's just instantly there's a connection there. And in many ways, we have more, we have, a, we have a stronger bond, a greater connection with those folks than sometimes we do even with our blood family, our physical family. 
There are cousins that I have that I, I love to death. They're great people, but we don't speak often. We don't have much in common. I have much, you are much more family to me than they are. It's a wonderful thing to gather together with the church family, with those who have been adopted by the blood of Christ. So we gather, we worship with the people of God, with fellow adoptees, and we worship together with fellow priests. Turn back with me very quickly to Psalm 134. I told you we were going to do some jumping today. Psalm 134. It's another song that was to be done on the approach to Jerusalem. It says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Now, it would be easy for us to look at that and maybe try to apply that to all of Israel. But given the context of Israel and what was happening at that time in worship, it's not, it's not written to everyone at that point. It says, come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Who stood at night in the house of the Lord? It wasn't all of Israel. In fact, they were to clear out, okay? The only folks that stayed all night in the presence of God in the, in the, in the house of the Lord, those folks were the priests, and so it's a, it's a call to the priest, hey, you guys who stand before us, you men who represent the nation, who can be places where we cannot go, you stand on our behalf and you worship him all night long. Do it on our behalf. But something amazing happens after the cross. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, but you are a chosen race. You are the people of God. A holy nation, a people of his own, for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you in, out of darkness into the marvelous light. You'll notice, for some of you that are following along, I skipped a part. We are the people of God. We have been chosen. We've been adopted. But I skipped a part. I said, the part that I skipped is, you're a royal priesthood. You see, something amazing happens after the crucifixion. God sends his spirit to dwell in us. And now we are the dwelling place of God. We, in essence, are the temple. And no longer do we need a priest to stand before us to be an intercessor between God and us. Now, we, the believer, we are priests now we can walk into his presence, as Hebrews says, with boldness, with excitement to know that we can walk right up to the throne and worship him ourselves day and night. And so we gather together with fellow priests in this brotherhood of the priesthood to do this thing together at all times, not just on Sunday morning, but at all times. Anytime I see someone in a, a shell station, it is a meeting of the priest of God that we can have a discussion and give him glory. Whether it's in the gas station or in a restaurant or putting together cabinets that have more pieces than you've ever seen in your life. It is an opportunity for us to gather together and to make much of him. And so we have this this picture of what we're supposed to do. And in reality, it's a command. It's a command to gather together, but it's much more than a command. It's also, it should be a desire. It should be a desire. 
We have the command in Hebrews chapter 10, if you would like to turn over there with me. Hebrews chapter 10, it's a passage that you are familiar with. We've used it several times um, from the pulpit here in the last year. But in Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to go ahead and back all the way to verse 19. We're going to read several verses here. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, again, we are now priests by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clear from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works." Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Brothers and sisters, we have a command to gather together. That we are, we are commanded to make an effort to gather with fellow the fellow people of God, with the fellow family of God, with the fellow priest of God, we are commanded to come and gather. But here's the thing. It shouldn't just be a command. Certainly, if it was just a command, we would be right and we would to obey it. But what we see in Scripture is that it is far more than that, that it is a desire. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to wear out those pages a little bit today. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 25. I want you to see the desire of God's heart. It says there in, in verse 25, chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. We read that passage, and as a general rule, we've often applied that to husbands, right? We've, we've taken that passage and said, see, love your wife better. And certainly there is some truth to that. We should love our lives well. But the point that Paul is trying to make there is, look at the picture that it is. Look at what it represents. You see, when we as husbands love our wives well, when we love our wives sacrificially, when we make sure that all their needs are met, when we put them before ourselves, what the world sees is the love of Christ for the church. That's what it represents. When you, how you love your wife is to be a picture of how Christ has loved the church and what has God, what has Christ done for the church. 
He has died for her. He came out of heaven for her. To sanctify her. To make her holy. That she may be presentable in the presence of God. He nourishes her. He cherishes her. He provides for her. Her needs are met because of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if Christ loves the church, then we should too. If Christ loves the church, then we should too. We are constantly being made into the image of Christ. The desires of the world are being replaced by the desires of God. And if that are true, then the the desire we have for brothers and sisters in Christ should be growing in us. It should be growing in us. If he was willing to sacrifice for her, then that we should be willing to sacrifice for the church. If he is willing to nourish and cherish her, then we should have a growing desire to nourish and cherish the church. John says this in his first letter. He says that if you say you love God, but then you hate your brother, meaning you hate a fellow believer, then you are a liar. He says you're a liar. If you say you love God, but you hate your fellow believer, and you are a liar. Friends, if we don't have a growing desire for the church, then we have to ask some pretty hard questions. If we don't have a desire for the church and for the individuals that make her up, then we have to ask some pretty hard questions about who we are and whether we really love the things that he loves. It doesn't mean that it's easy, right? Loving someone is not always an easy task. There are times that they frustrate us. There are times that we don't see eye to eye and we disagree about things. There are times that we have to have difficult conversations. There's times that we need patience. There's times that we need to offer forgiveness. There's times that we have to support others. There are times that we have to be supported. Sometimes that's harder for some of us than the other. Sometimes we're really easy about, letting, about supporting someone else, but when it comes time for us to need some help, we're really, we're really prideful. But we should have, that should, those things are not always easy, but they should be growing in us. The desire to do those things should be growing. The same is true in our, of our church. There are going to be times that we frustrate each other, surely. There are going to be times that we disagree. There are going to be times that we... We even maybe hurt each other's feelings. There are going to be times that forgiveness is needed. There are going to be times when patience is needed. But the desire for one another, the desire for the the larger entity should be growing in you. So so we gather together with the people of God. We fellowship with fellow adoptees. We, We gather and worship together with priests We do so because it's commanded, but more so because it should be a growing desire in our hearts. And so what does that look like? What does all of this look like when we gather together? Well, first, it looks regular. And what I mean by that is consistent. All right, turn back to Acts chapter 2, verse 46. We've already read this passage. We know some of the things they've been doing. Verse 46, it says, and day by day. Attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. 
What does it look like to gather together with the fellow saints of Christ, to have this desire for one another? It means that it needs to be regular. It needs to be consistent. Do you make it a priority to gather together with other believers? And notice that it's, it's good to do that on what, what we call the new Sabbath, but on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. It's good to do that. It's good to, to make this a priority and help your family to understand this as priority, to help your kids know that it's a priority to be here, that this is what we do because we want to. I'm so thankful last night that no one had a camera in my house because Rosemary came out of her bedroom. I didn't plan to share this story, but Rosemary came out of her, her bedroom and she said, Dad, and I went, what? And she goes, you know what tomorrow is? And I said, what? And she said, it's Sunday, it's church day. And she began to dance and she began to, to just be so excited because she gets to see all of you. It's not, she, she doesn't have a true understanding of God yet or what Christ has done as her Savior, but she knows she gets to see you people. And she gets to sing and have fun and color. And she's so excited. And so, by golly, I joined in. And my little unrhythmed body began to dance right along with her. I'm glad nobody was recording it. And we were celebrating that it was church day tomorrow and that we get to be with the church. We have this growing desire to be here. And it's a regular thing. And so we're teaching her. We're teaching her that this is something that we don't just do as, a, as an obligation, but it's something we do because we love it. Do your families know that? Do your friends know that? It's not, oh, I got to go to church tomorrow. Hey, I get to go to church tomorrow. I'm excited about going to church tomorrow. And not just on Sundays, but is there a general excitement? Do you make time during your week to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it a regular thing? Is it a fellowship? Notice here that they are sharing bread. They're in each other's homes. They're receiving that food with glad and generous hearts. These are, not, these are not dire things, right? Like they don't gather together in one of the homes and just mope and like it's, it's all somber and serious all the time. No, it's glad and generous hearts that they get to be with one another, that they get to celebrate what God has done in their lives. They're wondrous things. They're wonderful, wonderful times. It's regular fellowship. It's living life together. Oh friend, I hope that as we think about what it means to be a church and what it means to worship together, that we don't just, we don't just confine it to one time, one moment of our week, but we understand that it's broader than that. That's living life together. That we worship in more than just this place. We worship always it's regular fellowship focused on him. We can get together. We can get together all the time. And we can get together and, and worship with one another. Or we can get together and fellowship with one another. But if it is not focused on him, then it's not worship. If it's not focused on him, then it's not worship. 
several years ago, I got the opportunity to, to preach. I'll tell you this story very quickly. Uh, several, several years ago, I got an opportunity to preach at another church that, where my brother-in-law was at the time. And I, I came in and I began to preach. And we were talking about this subject of fellowship, about unity in the church. And as a pastor, you can pretty t- much tell when people are tuned in or not. And man, I'm preaching and people are tuned in and they're following lockstep with me. And I, then I said this comment. I said, if we come together as a body of believers, but then we do not speak of Christ, if we do not make him known, then we might as well be the Lions Club. What I did not know was the Lions Club was the premier organization of this little bitty community. And immediately everybody shut down. <laughs> But the point is true. If we gather together, but we do not make much of him, then we are just a social organization. We're just another club. And the world doesn't need another club. What they need is him. What they need is hope. What they need is assurance. What they need is the gospel. So when we gather together, what does it look like? It looks like regular fellowship focused on him. Regular fellowship focused on him. That's what it looks like for us to gather together as believers. So what comes of this? We'll close, with, we'll close with this. What comes of all of this? If we have a command and a, and a growing desire to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ to make on a regular basis, to fellowship, to make much of him, What comes of all of that? Well, first, it's blessing. You look at the Psalms that we opened our morning with, and it says there, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then dropping down to verse 3, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Hear that again. For there, where? In the unity of of the brothers, there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. When we gather together and we do so in unity, there is life. It's life. When we gather together and make much of him, what we find is life, and not just any life, we find eternal life. We find eternal life. You see, when the church gathers together as brothers and sisters, it is a picture of heaven. It is a picture of the way that it's supposed to be. Not that we're, and I don't believe that that means that we're all going to gather together in heaven and for all of eternity just stand before him and sing his praises. Though if we were to do that, it would be the most amazing thing you would ever experience. I believe that we'll gather together as the church perfectly without any of the the baggage of, of poor relationships. Everything will be perfect with our, including how we interact with one another. And through all of those things will be glorious worship. When the church gathers together at any point time. It is a picture of what is to come. And it brings blessing. It brings blessing. You look at in Acts 2, all of the things that are happening. Those that are having needs met 
those that are meeting the needs, those that are gathering together and breaking bread together, there is blessing in it all. There is also community. There's community. We are created, whether you are an introvert or an extrovert, you are created to have community. We are not meant to be loners. We have to have some form of interaction. When we gather together, we build that community which we were created for. God says in the beginning, it is not good that man be alone. He means that for all of us. It is not good for you to be alone as a believer. Invest in a community. Invest in a community. Make it a priority and you will find amazing things. Those that over the years, even before I came here, occasionally I would meet someone that would say, well, church just wasn't what I wanted it to be. Church wasn't what I thought it would be. And I often ask the question, what did you do? What did you do? And the response is, well, I went once. I went twice over the course of a month. I went five times over the course of a year. And I just, I slept, and then it's like, okay, well, what did that look like? Well, I, you know, I came at, right at starting time, and I sat down, and a couple of people greeted me, and then I left. Well, no wonder it wasn't what you were looking for. Many, in many ways, this idea of gathering together, what you're going to get out of it is what you put into it. If you want more out of church, I'm going to give you a suggestion. Show up more. Be active. Participate. Take on a, a VBS assignment, though it may scare the ever-living snot out of you. Come join us on a Friday or Saturday to lay carpet. Participate and see if it isn't more what you had in mind. In the Old Testament, God, God speaks to Israel and he says, test me. He says, test me. Bring into my house the tithe and see if I won't return above and beyond that I won't make your cup flow over. And he's talking there about the, the physical gifts there. But I believe it extends to our participation in the church as well. Come and participate and see if God doesn't pour over in your cup blessing. If he doesn't make it more than you could ever imagine as you live life with these people. What comes of this blessing, community, an opportunity for growth. Look what it says there at the end of chapter 2. It says that they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now I will be the first to tell you, I'll be the first to tell you that the measurement of a healthy church, the measurement of a, of a good church is not necessarily numerically driven. Having thousands of baptisms is not necessarily a sign of a healthy church. And I can show you lots of examples where they're baptizing lots of people and it's not healthy. But when we make much of him as a community, 
when we gather together as a group of believers and make much of the gospel, when we make much of him, it opens the door to growth. If we scatter, if we never meet together, growth is going to be really hard. (laughs) If we gather together and we don't want to be here, it's going to be evident to other people that come in, and they're not going to want to join that. If we gather together and we don't make much of him, but we just sit like lumps on a log and just kind of check through the paces, other people are going to see that. But if we come in and we're excited to gather together with fellow believers, fellow priests, and we are excited to worship in whatever way that is, people will notice that. And they will want that. And there's an opportunity to see God do some pretty amazing things. This morning... I don't know how the Lord wants to use this word in your heart. I'm not the Holy Spirit for you. Maybe this morning you sit here and you know and are thankful that you are part of a church family. And you need to praise. You need to do a little dance. That today is church day. Then you do that. You do that. We will not record, I promise. But maybe you just need to sing and praise him and thank him. Maybe this morning you're a little convicted that that desire for the church is not growing in you. That somehow it's cooled. Whether maybe maybe there was a disagreement. Maybe there's some unforgiveness. Maybe there's something there that, that your love for the church has cooled. And you just need to confess that to him and say, Father, forgive me. Help me to love these people the way you do. Help me to love them the way that you'd want me to love them. Maybe that means that you need to offer forgiveness. Maybe it means that you need to to go to somebody. Maybe it just means you need to call somebody and say, hey, I'm here for you. What do you need? Maybe you're here this morning and you you know I'm not part of a family. Maybe I've come here, but I've, I've never really joined Maybe you're a believer. You just never put roots down. Then We would invite you. We want you to be a part of this. We want you to be family. We would love that. Maybe you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You are not family. You're just a visitor. This morning, he extends an invitation to you. Come and know me and see that I am good. Will you ask him to forgive you of your sins? And will you make a commitment to follow him? You respond as he leads. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And we're going to enter into that time of response. As they do so, let me pray. Father, we we again are thankful. Father, we are thankful for these people that are sitting next to us, that we're rubbing shoulders with this morning, that many of whom you have rescued and that you have adopted them in and they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And and Father, we can't imagine living life without them. Father, we're thankful for those that, 
that you have put in our path that have helped us to feel a part of this body. We thank you for those like, like Shirley Morris, who so many of us have the testimony of how she showed compassion and grace and, and accountability at times and, and helped us feel together and, and others who have, you have used in the same way. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be like that. Lord, that we would have a desire for the church the same way, that we would have a desire for people the way you do, that we would exemplify that. And for some of us, that may mean lots of people and lots of connections, and for some of us, it may be just a few. But may we be faithful to that. Father, we thank you that we get to do this together. Lord, help us to do it well. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can